Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everyone, it's Alex here. Just wanted to give a little bit of a quick hey, hello, how are you before the episode starts. As you might see, this is actually one of our Patreon episodes that we covered back in July. So we are releasing this episode to you as we are currently recovering from a friend's wedding. So if you like what you hear, please consider joining our Patreon at any tier, uh, either the $2 or or the $5, and that is in USD prices. And you can get access to these monthly episodes, bonus episodes, might I add. But without further ado, here is the episode. Bye. July Patreon. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> you are joined by your lovely Weird Distractions host, Alex. And Christy. And this month we're talking true crime. And without further ado, let's get into it. Excuse a longie. It's a long one. I don't know how many minutes it'll turn out at the end, but uh, I've got like nine pages of notes, so... We shall see. We shall see. Uh, so this month's bonus weird distraction Patreon exclusive has us going to Toronto, Ontario. Ever mm-hmm. heard of it? Unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, did you know where we live? Yes. Yes. Uh, to discuss the series of child deaths at Toronto Hospital for Sick Children in the 1980s. Oh. Trigger warning for discussions of death of babies, legal injustices, and more. Before we get into the case, I'll provide some information regarding the hospital. So, Toronto's Hospital for Sick Children, often and henceforth referred to as Sick Kids Hospital, is one of Canada's most researched intensive hospitals and largest centre dedicated to children, according to their website. The hospital reportedly started around March of 1875, when Elizabeth McMaster and a group of women from Toronto decided to rent an 11-room house in downtown Toronto, declaring it a hospital for children. Their first patient was reportedly a three-year-old burn victim named Maggie, who came to the hospital in April of 1875, so literally the next month. Hmm. In 1951, Sick Kids moved to its current location of 555 University Avenue. Some of the clinical departments at Sick Kids include cardiovascular surgery, communication disorders, cardiology, plastic and reconstructive surgery, psychiatry, dentistry, complex care, and more. It is... It's happened. Yeah, it's got a lot to offer. And fun fact, both my boyfriend Tanner and I were at Sick Kids in 1994. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had plastic surgery down there. You did. I did, on my thumbs. What did Tanner have? He was a a premature baby, so he was really sick. Mm. little slick babes so needless to say two pieces in a pod yeah genetics are packing in both our families <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna turn out great parents anyways uh so our story begins not in 1994 but back in june of 1980 specifically in the cardiac wings of 4a and 4b of the hospital 
on this date and after this date, there seemed to be a major increase in patient mortality rates. Some reports saying a several fold increase. So babies were dead, unfortunately. Hmm. More than usual. More than they should be. So suspicious. Yes. At first, medical staff thought that the children had simply succumbed to their conditions, but it wasn't until a couple months later in January of 1981 when four-month-old Janice Estrella, a patient in the hospital, had unfortunately passed away. And something peculiar had been noticed in the death of baby Janice. She had her blood tested, in which the results came back that she had high lethal doses of digoxin in her blood. So digoxin, according to a University of Calgary paper written by Kelsey Horvat and Peter Bowell, had been commonly used in cardiac wards to slow heart rates and increase circulation. According to WebMD, digoxin is used to treat heart failure and irregular heartbeats. Hmm. So she was found to have like a lethal amount in her blood system. And did she need that? originally we'll get to it but yes okay yeah because she's in the cardiac ward so essentially it was i believe prescribed but the amount she had in her system was way more than what was prescribed Mm. so digoxin has been labeled as a control drug and was to be locked up However, one point didn't necessarily have as strict of an administration procedure but we'll kind of get to that in a little bit Similar to Janice, 23-day-old baby Kevin, also a patient in the cardiac wing at SickKids, had unfortunately passed away on March 12th with high levels of digoxin in his blood. Kevin had been admitted to Ward 4B at around 3.30 p.m. on March 11th due to suffering from severe tachycardia, which is a very rapid heartbeat. If that wasn't enough, another baby slash patient, baby Alana, also died and demonstrated having high levels of you guessed it, digoxin in her blood. Alana was born March 24th, 1980, and died at Sick Kids on March 21st, 1981. She reportedly had com- a complex heart disease involving multiple abnormalities. It seemed as though digoxin was showing up everywhere, which, for its purpose and for the location, kind of seemed normal, but the dosage amounts weren't. And the fact that the babies were dying and having these almost lethal amounts in their blood is an issue is an issue. Around the same time as Alana, a three-month-old patient who was originally born in Owen Sound, which is our neck of the woods, Mm -hmm. uh, named Justin Cook, had been admitted to sick kids on March 20th. As you may have guessed it, Justin died as well shortly after his admittance. This time, it was discovered that Justin had reportedly never been prescribed digoxin, but still had it in his blood. That's a problem, even more. Even more so. So according to the University of Calgary paper, once again written by Kelsey Hovart and Peter Bowell, the staff on the ward 4A had been asked to go home after Justin's death, and it appeared as though admissions into both ward 4A and B were seized. Because after Justin's death, they're like, okay, something's going on. What what the fuck's going on? Like, there's... There's too many deaths with too, like, too, too much. much of that coincidence with that drug. And for, especially for someone who just shouldn't even be having it in the first place. Exactly. Things weren't adding up. Families, along with other hospital staff, were wondering what the hell was happening in the cardiac wing at Sick Kids. Because of the suspiciousness around these deaths involving digoxin, a police investigation was opened. And here is where I introduce one of our main characters to this unfortunate true so welcoming to the main stage we have susan nellis 
Susan Nellis was born sometime in Belleville, Ontario, approximately two hours east of Toronto, where she would end up working as a nurse at SickKids. I wasn't able to find out much about Susan, like, couldn't find her date of birth, couldn't really find out much. Just her name itself is important. Exactly. And what I've gathered is essentially she comes from a family of medical professionals. So I think I mentioned it later on in my notes, but I think both her father and brother were doctors. So her being a nurse, she graduated from Queen's University, which is located in Kingston, Ontario. Once again, that's further east of Belleville and further east of Toronto. Mm-hmm. For imagery's sake, from what I've gathered, she is a sl- she was a slender Caucasian woman. I want to say she almost had dirty blonde, almost brown hair during all of this stuff. So she was working in the cardiac wing at Sick Kids as a nurse. As a nurse, mm-hmm. according to the University of. Calgary paper written by Kelsey and Peter once again Susan was reportedly the one assigned to provide care for Justin on the evening he passed away and was her only assigned patient for that shift based on what I read so she her job that shift was to look after Justin right and he died that's a problem. It's suspicious. Not only that, but she had previously cared for Kevin and Alana on the day they had died and worked the shift prior to Janice's death. That's weird. Yeah. During the police investigation, it didn't seem to take them long to kind of pick up a pattern and tie Susan into the mix somehow. Susan, who had graduated from university less than three years prior, was reportedly scheduled to be questioned last by police as they allegedly, based on what I read, had intentions of arresting her if she couldn't come up with an explanation for the deaths as per their imagination, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Based off of the University of Calgary paper that I keep referencing, Susan had a law student roommate who she consulted with prior to the police questioning which it was recommended by her roommate that Susan not speak to police without a lawyer present. I feel like that's kind of a given. Give yeah. Wait. Take me in. I'm like, I want a lawyer. Yeah, I, I, I want a lawyer up. Over. Whether I did it or not, I want a lawyer because mm-hmm. I might say something stupid, especially if I didn't do it, right? Mm-hmm. Or even if I did. When police did try and question Susan, it sounds as if she had tried to use the advice that her friend had gave her and asked for a lawyer. She's like, no, I, I'm speaking on what I assume Susan said. She's like, no, I'm a, I want to speak to a lawyer. Like, mm-hmm. I want a lawyer present. Regardless, only three days after Justin had passed away, Susan would be charged with four counts of murder and was apprehended by police. So the police weren't fucking around. No. No. The Degoxin-related deaths seemed to slow down a bit around the time of Justin's death and Susan's arrest, which I will circle back to, but keep that in mind. So only a bit? Yeah, only a bit. But once again, we will get back to that because there is a little bit more of an explanation going on here. A little, mm. bit, a little bit more than what meets the eye. It sounded that way. Yeah. So now some people listening, aka our lovely patrons, may have kind of jumped to the conclusion, maybe jump in the gun, that Susan is in fact in fault. But here's where things get weird and twisty, which very on brand. As mentioned, Susan was charged for the murders of Janice, Kevin, Alana, and Justin. Four counts. Susan had a preliminary hearing on January 4th, 1982, which an inquiry of justice, aka seeing if essentially there's enough evidence sufficiently enough to move forward, Mm -hmm. was requested and reportedly took up to 41 days to complete. With the final report... I believe being completed in May of 1982. Jeez. 
Yeah. Basically, if they thought they had enough evidence from this inquiry to proceed, they would then go to superior court. During this inquiry, Judge Vanek was present along with Crown Attorneys McGee and Wiley and with Susan's defense team of Cooper, Sandler, and Cole. I'm going to reference them as their last names because A, I couldn't find their first names, and B, it just sounds cooler that way. I don't it's know just why. a lawyer thing. You say, like, their last name and Yeah, last name. it's just they I'm walk so in. And so. Yeah, it's like they walk in with a briefcase, and they're all like, I'm Cooper. I'm McGee. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm important. I'm important. I make way too much money for this. Uh, the inquiry document I read online reviewed the... The, 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 the document itself essentially reviewed the entire breakdown of the hospital. So, for example, it reviewed the cardiac section of sick kids, as well as the nurses team. It broke down the wings of the physical layout of the hospital, what staff made up what nurses teams, where the digoxin was kept, the patients who was on shift when the staff members took breaks, and more. So, like, there was a lot to break down. She was in depth. It was very... There was, like... I, I thought about printing it as, like, for prep... It was like 99 pages. My poor little printer couldn't, wouldn't be able to handle it. So You're like, nah. No, exactly. And I can't write off printer ink anymore for, through work. So that shit ain't cheap. <laughs> but needless to say, I try to break it down as much as possible to so our fine listeners and myself and you could understand it easily. Regarding the drugs, a.k.a. the digoxin, in a direct quote from the Regina versus Nellis court document, quote, the narcotics are kept locked in a cupboard, a.k.a. in the nurse's station, Mm -hmm. while other drugs are in constant use are kept on open shelves. Digoxin was kept on the open shelves in both medication rooms and readily available to nursing staff until that night that Justin Cook died. So it was up for grabs. It was like grab and go... You this need it, a, you want it. This is a necrotic. This is a controlled drug. Yeah. So why is it locked? I don't know why it was unlocked before, but the night that Justin died, it, it was then locked. Yeah, but it's a problem. Like, it is a problem, yeah. Why was it locked before? I know. If it's controlled substance, it should be locked. I mean, it was the 80s. I don't care. But, like, it was... There's lots of controlled substance. That's just the rule. Is she locked up? I know. It's funny, because in the 80s, marijuana was illegal, Mind you, you could grab digoxin from a nurse's state. Like, you could walk into the hospital, grab some drugs off a shelf, pretend to be in... Like, do you see where I'm going with Mm -hmm. this? How fucking wild. It's just wild. Anyways, um, this obviously demonstrates that the digoxin medication was easily accessible at one point. Which, as a reminder, it seemed to be a key medication for those in the cardiac wards. Now I'm going to break down the nursing teams because this is where things get interesting. Not really, but I have to segue somehow. (laughs) Based off the court document I read, each nurse on shift follows a guide from a head nurse. The justice made sure to note that the nurses would follow the recommended care plans prescribed by the doctors, which obviously I think is commonly fair practice like i think that's how it usually goes uh under set head nurses the nurses were divided into teams one team covers the day shift being 7 30 a.m to 7 30 p.m while another covers the night shift from 7 30 p.m to 7 30 a.m susan was reportedly part of the team that was compromised of team leader phyllis trainer sue scott miss mrs christie no last name, just Mrs. Christie, and Janet Brownless, uh, with Mrs. Christie and Janet being registered nurse assistants and the other being registered nurses. 
In the court documents, the team that Susan was part of was often referred to as team trainer of sorts. With that being said, some of the orders of prescriptions for our victims did include digoxin, as I mentioned kind of a little bit earlier. For example, baby Alana. Alana was reportedly put on regular dosage of digoxin and of aldotaxide, or aldactazide. Yeah, I think that's how you say it. Prior to her surgery at Sick Kids, Alana was pres- prescribed 0.2 ng of digoxin twice daily at 9 a.m. and at 9 p.m. Although the digoxin was seeming to be a consistent theme among the patients, it was because they were prescribed, as already pointed out. There was one exception. Justin. Justin Cook. The only baby that wasn't on digoxin was Justin, in which I'm going to read a quote from the court documents to explain what was going on with him in short. At about 10.30 a.m. on March 21st, Justin Cook was given a rather harrowing diagnostic examination called a cardiac catheter study or catheterization to determine the extent of abnormalities to the heart. An immediate operation was required to correct the defects and improve the flow of blood. This baby was never on digoxin. In this case, digoxin was contraindicated and might have a reverse effect than what was desired. Instead, he was prescribed indural, which is a form of propranol. Propranol. Yeah. I will say Justin's death is the most confusing in the sense that obviously he was never prescribed digoxin, but it was found at high dosage in his blood. A little bit fucked up. Yeah, something suspicious. There may be a reason why digoxin was still found in his blood during the autopsy, which unfortunately y'all have to wait till the end to find out why, because it's not what you think. Now I'm going to try and break down what took place the night that Justin passed away because once again that was like right before Susan got arrested Mm -hmm. and kind of breaks down the atmosphere of the hospital a little bit. She's a little catty in there. Well. That's the usual thing with the hospitals. Yeah. Miller bitches sometimes. Yeah. There was there was some inappropriate bedside manner in my opinion but anyways Mm -hmm. uh, and I retrieved this information from the court documents of Regina versus Nellis. So during the night shift on March 21st, Susan who was working with her usual team as mentioned before, uh, was reportedly assigned to provide care to Justin who was in room 418 with the request of constant nursing care. I'm assuming it wasn't outwardly stated, but I think now, uh, I think Susan typically like her team worked the night shifts. Okay. So the 7:30 p.m. to 7:30 a.m., which awful. That just sounds awful. Yeah, why would you want to work straight nights? I mean, unless the per diem and like or the pay was phenomenal in comparison to the day, but still. Yeah, a little premium, but I don't think it's worth it to work straight nights Mm-mm. unless it works for your home life. Yeah. That evening at around 10 p.m., the chief resident had reportedly released a previously stated hold on digoxin from the children, although added security measures to be practiced from there forward. So there was a bit of a hold. They were like, okay, we need to hold off giving anyone digoxin mm-hmm. because people are dying. Babies are dying. This is an it's issue. A <laughs> little bit of a problem here. We need to figure out what the fuck's going on. But then by 10 p.m., they're like, okay, we have to... These, ba- these, these babies need it, these so we kind of have to figure this shit out. Exactly. There was no substitute, apparently. Exactly. Susan had the keys for the narcotics cabinet where the digoxin was being held until approximately midnight, which is when she turned them over to Phyllis, a.k.a. the team lead. Mm-hmm. Phyllis trainer, you know, team trainer. Mm-hmm. Team lead Phyllis administered digoxin to those 
prescribed, so presumably not Justin. Once again, he was not prescribed digoxin. Mm -hmm. From 11 p.m. until midnight, Susan reportedly had a coffee break and was relieved by another nurse. Justin's parents reportedly came to visit Justin sometime at around 11 p.m., so shortly before Susan went on break. So Susan didn't even give the drugs. Phyllis did. No, Phyllis did. Okay. It may have, like, Justin's parents may have came a little bit before 11. Times are varying. They came. They were there. They wanted to see their kid. Obviously understandable. His parents came into room 418 to see Susan holding Justin. She had reportedly just finished feeding him. So, you know, she's holding him. She's doing what parents do with little crotch goblins, you know, making sure they're... or whatever i don't know the three adults were in the room together for max 20 minutes in which susan allegedly told them that she was going to try to hold justin so that he wouldn't cry according to the court document regina versus nellis susan also made a comment that he should have been brought in presumably to the hospital earlier as he was really sick so she's like yo you should have brought your kid in i don't know a long time ago because he's really fucking sick and they're like are you trying to make the parents feel like assholes well yeah and not only that but they're from owen sound owen sound to toronto is a bit of a hike susan and usually you take them to owen sound first and they're like get out of here and you they need- transfer you exactly so that's not their choice they exactly. get there when they get there there's a lot of behind the scenes accepting patient shit by the way by the way susan so Rude. one strike susan Susan allegedly asked Justin's parents if they understood that he had to have surgery the following day, in which they're like, yeah, you know, we're hopeful, this, that, and the other. Like, they're really optimistic, which that is what parents need to be in those situations, right? Yeah, not be like, wow, I just killed my child because yeah. I didn't come sooner. Yeah, thanks, Susan. Uh, in which Susan allegedly stated to them, don't look at the best, look at the worst. He might not make it. Susan's a terrible nurse, bedside manner. Yeah, I, this is what I meant by her bedside manner is not great. Some work. Yeah. From what I gathered, Susan would go on to administer Just, Justin's medication of four milligram of propanolol. Propanolol. Thank you. <laughs> However, she did this with team lead Phyllis. So she was being watched by, admi- Phyllis. by Phyllis administering the prescribed medication to Justin. Unfortunately, a couple hours after administration of the medication, Justin went blue, became indecisive, went into a seizure, and was pronounced dead at 4.56 a.m. So things took a big old turn for the worse, to say the least, real fast. The situation with Justin is sketchy, in my opinion, due to the fact that Susan's bedside manner seemed to be very mm, sketchy. And just, like, I know, and I mean no shade towards nurses, but I find they have a personality type that is a little bit crass. Yeah, like once, you, once you've worked in it and then you feel them enough, you get a little morbid and like have your own lingo with stuff that you would never have with a regular person when we're to hospital things. And you're like, yeah, I can be a little bit of a bitch, but I'm not going to say it to your face. I mean, I think I'm the same way in terms of like my work and mental health, but there's yeah. things I would never repeat or in never, front of them. Yeah. In front of them. No, I, I would never say, well, why didn't you get mental health help earlier it's like mm-hmm. well you get help when you decide you need help yeah yeah so needless to say not not a fan of that no. <laughs> not a fan of susan's comments uh but other than the bedside manner other than that there doesn't seem to be any factual evidence that susan gave justin lethal doses of digoxin regardless and further coming from the court documents justice vanick essentially stated that the blood analysis evidence proved that the four babies died due to essentially digoxin overdose or toxicity and in a direct quote from the court documents 
quote, the digoxin was administered deliberately by a person, meaning to cause death or bodily harm likely to cause death and who was reckless whether death was caused or not. I would like to know all the details of what's happening. I'm still confuddled. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's going to be interesting. So I'm sure everybody's asking and thinking the same question. Who did this? Yeah. Who, who done it? What, what the, who, who done it? And who, who, how did the drug get mixed up? I'm e- confuzzled. Exactly. Based on the evidence presented in the inquiry, Judge Vanek had reportedly found that the evidence against Susan was circumstantial. Yeah, I don't see any of those true facts here saying that, like, mm-hmm. she grabbed it, mm-hmm. she did it. Like, Phyllis is around a lot. Exactly. Here's Judge Vanek's breakdown as to why it's circumstantial and, like, what what he thinks or they mm-hmm. think. There was no direct evidence of any act that Susan had shown that she was involved in any poisoning of any patient or of any of the victims in this situation. Mm-hmm. There was no evidence either of any suspicious or untoward conduct of consciousness, guilt, or cover-up by Susan. Susan never had exclusive access to any of the victims. Yes, she would care for a baby during her shift, like specifically Justin, for example. However, there were reportedly others that had access to the babies, especially the victims we're talking about on her shift as well. It's not like, I know earlier I said that she was assigned to provide care to Justin, Mm -hmm. but Phyllis prescribed medication as well, or like observed the medication. There were other nurses coming in and other hospital staff there were visitors, there were so many other people coming in and out. Yeah, there's like nowhere to pinpoint, it was just her. Exactly. Uh, the nurses on shift would be assigned a patient or more a shift, and although their responsibility was to take care for said patient, the nurses were allowed to have multiple breaks during the long 12-hour shift. So even as mentioned, Susan had a break between like when, her, when the parents came in. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many breaks they had per se. Didn't really break that down, but... There were times where she wasn't in there and someone else could have been. Exactly. Mm-hmm. To explain how this break notion dampens the case, here's a direct quote from the court documents. No doubt of the four charges, the strongest case against Susan relates to Justin Cook because she was on duty in that case on terms of constant nursing care. However... As previously noted, even under constant nursing care, a nurse was allowed to the same breaks for coffee, lunch, and otherwise to absent herself for short periods, for example, to attend the washroom or even to smoke a cigarette. So constant nursing care did not mean that a nurse had to be in the same room with her patient for a continuous basis of 12 solid hours. Mm -hmm. When it came to the death of baby Janice, Judge Vanek essentially stated that there was absolutely no case against Susan whatsoever. He stated that Susan was not only not on duty the night shift that Janice had died, but that her colleague, Sue Scott, was. And even in the breakdown of the days prior, Susan had no direct care of Janice. Mm. So Judge Vanek came to the following conclusion after assessing the evidence. First being, the evidence is entirely circumstantial. Yes. There is no evidence of any motive for Susan to do any of this. In the case of Janice, there is no evidence to go before a jury that the accused being Susan, was the person who murdered Janice. While the accused had access to other victims and had an opportunity to administer the dosage of digoxin that caused death, in none of the cases did Susan have exclusive access and opportunity. In each case, other persons also had access to each of the infants at relevant times and the opportunity to administer the digoxin to them that caused death. So essentially, it could have been anyone, once again. 
There is no evidence of any acts or conduct on the part of the accused, being Susan, in relation to any of the four babies that is the usual course of her duties as a registered nurse at Sick Kids Hospital. There were no previous concerns about her overdosing patients. There was no over-medicating. There was no, there was nothing. There was, she had a clean slate. Like she was, you know, even the next uh, point was, you know, she has a really excellent reputation at the hospital and of being a nurse and amongst her team. Uh, In addition, there is a powerful evidence in disproof of the allegation that the accused is the person who caused the death of the four babies. So with this being said, Judge Vanek discharged Susan of all charges laid against her. That's one for the best. Yep. Uh, so according to the McLean's article after the discharge, Susan remained working at Sick Kids. However, she would go on to take a two and a half year paid leave to unfortunately deal with more drama because I'm only on page six. The party ain't over yet. I know, we got lots to go. Exactly. So even though Judge Vanek had discharged Susan, a royal commission was appointed, referred to as the Grange Report or the Grange Ordeal, which was tasked to look into the deaths of 43 babies at Sick Kids Hospital. Yeah. So although Susan was only charged with the murder of four babies, or the four deaths, uh, as mentioned earlier on, there was a staggering amount of of babies and patients that seemed to pass away while at Sick Kids in the 80s. And unfortunately, Susan was looked at as a potential suspect again. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So this Grange report was what some would refer to, aka what I'm referring to as an absolute media circus. Mm. So unfortunately, this wasn't, you know, oh, there's like one newspaper here or there putting out an article. According to some reports, Mr. Justice Samuel G.M. Grange, aka the one leading said circus, had allowed both radio and TV reporters not only to be present during the hearings, which started June 21st, 1983, but he approved for them to record and broadcast it. What? Yeah. So media circus. It was. It was. It was not loud. You can't like be recording. No. No. I don't care if it was 1983. It shouldn't have been allowed. No. Uh, I can't imagine. Obviously, the amount of stress, the mental anguish, the. If I was her, I definitely would take it in two and a half years off. Oh, a thousand percent. Paid. Paid. A thousand percent. Um, she also was taking like taking in public scrutiny. You know, people saying that she's a. Baby exactly which as a nurse and as a human that's hard to cope with mm. i can't imagine what her mental health would have been oh, like terrible no uh susan eventually took the stand explaining once again that she had no intention of murdering the babies or had partaken in anything out of her role as a nurse in which the conclusion of this investigation found that susan was exonerated from all the charges so after all that after all that you know just let's let's come back to the same conclusion the first prelim inquiry had yeah but just ruined your life basically yeah so even though the preliminary inquiry didn't turn into a criminal trial and the grange report was eventually done with Another trial of sorts was on the horizon for Susan. Oh, my God. Susan went on to hire a professional football player turned civil lawyer, John Sapinka, with the motive to start a civil lawsuit under the pretense of malicious prosecution against Toronto Police, the Crown of Ontario, and the Ontario, Ontario Attorney General. Get it, bitch. Yep, she's just like, hmm, my turn, bitches. Yeah, fuck you guys. <laughs> Hope you like this courtroom because we're going to be in it for a while. Uh, So the police were bashed for how they handled the arrest, obviously, because based on what I read, it seemed as if they arrested her because she enacted 
her civil right to have an attorney present when talking to police. Didn't she ask for one? She did. But they didn't give her one. No, they arrested her. Yeah, so that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a no-no. That's a fucking big old no-no. Not only that, but it, 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 as soon as police had heard about Susan and kind of like made up their own pattern of everything, which I'm not going to lie. Well, the fact like, that they said they were going to question her last because like, that's the one we're going to arrest. Well, well that's it's, a problem. Exactly. It, it was essentially a witch hunt for mm-hmm. a back of a letter, you know, reference, mm-hmm. right? Just absolute travesty. Um, it just, once again, trash, trash. So not only that, but according to the University of Calgary paper, uh, police had reportedly charged Susan without clear evidence of any contact with said victims. Mm-hmm. All circumstantial. Mm-hmm. When it came to the Crown Attorney, they apparently didn't have any tangible evidence against Susan, and it ultimately looked like a sloppy-ass shit show from the prosecution side of things. Mm-hmm. Now, in the University of Calgary paper, once again, written by Kelsey and Peter, I'll shut them out at the very end again, uh, they explained that to essentially win a civil lawsuit for malicious prosecution, there are four things that you kind of have to check off, so to speak, um, in which the following has to be proven that the prosecution did the following. Initiated by the prosecuting defendant, terminated in favor of the plaintiff, undertaken without reasonable and probable cause, and finally motivated by malice or a primary purpose other than that of carrying the law into effect. It's a bunch of law stuff. I'm not going to lie. It's a legal paper, so... It was a little wordy for me. Yeah. So when the case started, there seemed to be some concerns or trying to prove the previous previously listed items. Mm-hmm. But it seemed as though it maintained stamina and was able to have some various outcomes for Susan. For starters, she settled with police for a whopping $190,000. That's it? That's it. In 1985. In about 1987, she settled with the Ontario government for $60,000. But like she's getting shafted. Well, I I, I kind of thought that too, but then I thought, okay, but in 1980, that's a lot of money. Like, in today's money, that's not a lot of money. No, but still, even, like, thinking, like, the year we were born and you only get 80, 60 grand for, like, the ruin of your life. 60 grand plus an additional 190, 100,000. 100, 190,000. I still feel like it's not enough. Yeah. I mean, I would prefer millions, but then again... Well, yeah, people nowadays are getting millions yeah. when you get like, a couple more hundred grand. Exactly. Uh, although some of these earnings covered legal costs associated with this kind of assumed uh, never-ending nightmare, about 20,000 of it went... This is what Susan did. 20,000 of it went into a Queen's scholarship in Susan's name. And a $10,000 check that went to the Nellis Family Endowment Fund at the Belleville General Hospital, which was started in honor of her brother and father who had passed away during this whole legal battle. Mm -hmm. So not only did she have to deal with... That, she lost two family members. Exactly. Like... (laughs) Worst years of her life. Exactly. So Susan went on to marry a man by the name of Robert Pine in 1985, and the two went on to have three children of their own. Uh, From most of the documents I read, Susan's nursing registration was never affected, so that's good. That's good. Um, You know, she was still able to practice nursing. She... I don't know if she still is at this point, but... 
she was able to continue on with her career in nursing. She reportedly left sick kids, which fair enough. They'd be like, piece of fuck it. suck. Yeah, this place fucking blows by. Can't even properly put your medications in a safe place, but whatever. So Susan left sick kids and went on to continue practicing nursing in Kingston, where she would speak to nursing groups about integrity in nursing, which she actually ended up getting awarded a doctorate in law from Queen's University oh. in 1999 because of everything she had to fucking go through. <laughs> Probably for the best. Probably for the best. So to kind of summarize this awful, horrendous situation that I'm essentially explaining to you all here today, it seemed as though Susan was stuck in the horrifying classic of wrong place, wrong time. Some may be wondering, all right, but like what about the fact that the digoxin-related deaths kind of stopped after Susan was arrested? Well, because then whoever was doing it lost their scapegoat. Well, the hospital reportedly made the process of accessing digoxin a lot stricter in reflection of, as to what was happening. So I think around the time, like shortly before or like when she got arrested, the whole protocol of maintaining and holding the digoxin got more stricter because the, obviously the hospital was like, oh shit, there's a lot of deaths in association with high levels of digoxin. We need to change our protocol around how we administer this medication. Mm -hmm. So even though people are like, oh, it happened, you know, like Susan was arrested and now the death stop. It's like, well, yes, but that's because the hospital kind of got their shit together. Mm. So it wasn't really anything to do with Susan. It was more so... There was an issue to begin with, whatever yeah. the process was. since you think you fixed it, but we'll see. Exactly. So although Susan may have seemed like a good suspect, there was nothing factually tying her or any proof even after all this was done that she had any ill will towards her patients that led or has led to death. So... Mm -hmm. Nothing, nothing of the sorts. Me. Susan's criminal and civil case has been well documented in Canada as a reminder that everyone should have right to a fair trial. Unfortunately to Susan, she had to endure the opposite. And, you know, I'm sure everybody's wondering at this point what the fuck happened. Yeah, we can you tell me? Yeah, we okay. still have some deaths. I was like, I still want to know what the fuck happened. Yeah, we still have some deaths that we need to figure out here. Mm -hmm. So according to the University of Calgary paper, SickKids Hospital went under some heat after the investigation of Susan as it turned out that the number of deaths from digoxin may have been exaggerated. Further documentation in that paper, which essentially referred to a 1993 physician research investigation of the whole situation. Okay. Um, this report essentially determined that the, the deaths of the babies at SickKids was because of a well-known chemical referred to as MBT, Short for, and bear with me because I didn't jolly phonics this because I think I can handle it, mercatobenzothiazole. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which is apparently used to toughen syringes and medical tubing. MBT industrially can be found in rubber products such as the lining for fuel tanks, caulking, electrical cords, plugs, gas masks, rubber bands, erasers, and more. And syringes. And syringes. Mm. Needless to say, I don't think it takes a scientist to understand that having high doses of this in your bloodstream would be deadly. According to this 1993 report, MBT could cause severe reactions or even death, particularly in children, and can mimic digoxin in autopsies and blood work. I was going to say, yeah, where did the digoxin come from? But I see now. Yes. So with that being said, this report essentially claims that the testing for digoxin used almost a couple years prior could have been presented falsely 
as high readings of digoxin when it actually was MBT. Mm. So to summarize, it seemed potentially an unfortunate medical accident caused by MBT, which was being used, obviously, by numerous wards in the hospital, including the cardiac ward, right? So MBT was potentially making the children ill and subsequently killing them. But because it showed up as a common cardiac medication, aka digoxin... That's a little more suspicious. Exactly. Which, at the time of death and autopsies, like, that's what kept coming up was digoxin. They're like, oh my gosh, like, someone's over-prescribing or overdosing these children Mm -hmm. on this medication, when in fact... it's MBT because it's coming through the syringes that they're using. I'm surprised it doesn't have, like, I don't know if there's documentation, but it wasn't happening everywhere in the hospital then because if they're all using the same I, tubing and syringing, yeah, like, do you well, think some other people might be dying? Like, I know it's more kid-based, but it's a kid hospital, so. Well, that's the thing, and I don't know because remember when they did the Grange report, there was 43 deaths. Yeah, I was say that was. I don't know if that was specifically just the cardiac wing or if that was the entire hospital. Mm. So that could be the number of deaths of infants in the entire hospital. Related to this. Related to this. So, Neil to say, <laughs> it was in Susan. Like, I don't... Some faulty equipment. Exactly. Um, unfortunately, the MBT, at the time that all this was coming out, was coming out with something else, therefore flying under the radar as mm-hmm. the actual cause of the deaths. Yeah. Although the MBT chemical leak from the syringes seems to be logical, and, you know, it seems to be the kind of unfortunate reason as to why these babies met their fate mm-hmm. at a really young age. Some still suspect that the children were murdered. So there are some conspiracy people out there, some conspiracy kiddos just flock in the internet who still think that this murder is unsolved, that one of the nurses did it. I believe some people pointed the finger at Phyllis. Um, unfortunately, Phyllis has since passed away of cancer. So, mm. you know, she was never investigated. Um, As far as my understanding, the rest of the team was never questioned heavily or like put on trial or Mm. a prelim trial like Susan was. It just, you know, and once again, my heart kind of goes out to Susan because it just seemed like it was the wrong place at the wrong time. And she was pointed out like, hey, you fucking did this. Yeah. And I can see the conspiracy theorists being out there being like, it could still be Susan or they are still murder because there yeah. wasn't a lot of like other facts backing up other stuff. Yeah. Like unless there's like a report written out there somewhere saying, oh, it was faulty equipment. The hospital yeah. like changed brands, changed companies, like yeah. cleared it out. Then it was fine. But without that, you're like, it still seems weird. Well, and I think people always just kind it sounds macabre, but I think people always just want to put blame on on, somebody. on, on a human as opposed to a chemical. Because mm-hmm. if we can't control our chemicals, then what the fuck are we doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to this day, obviously, there seems to be a divide of people. People who think that Susan did it or that someone, like a human, was at the fault of this. Yeah. Or that it was chemical links from tools being used in a hospital, right? To be honest, I'm not sure what's more terrifying, a murderous nurse or a chemical and something meant to keep you alive that eventually kills you. I don't, I don't, they're both pretty terrifying to me. And that is the 1980s Toronto Sick Kids death case, essentially. Um, So a little bit of true crime, a little bit of unsolved, a little bit of chemical fear. that I'm sure we all have. This actually comes out after Jonathan Johnson just released that they have uh, cancerous chemicals on their sunscreen. So... Good thing I don't use it. Yeah, LOL, I had a can of it. So... That's why I said I'm in the car today. I was like, sorry if that ever happens because you used some of mine. It was the ultra sheer stuff. 
Oh, that's tough. Yeah. So Alex gave me, Alex gave me cancer. No. <laughs> no. If, if my lawyer's listening, I did not. Anyway, so my resources for this month. So Sick Kids website. Uh, University of Calgary, whatever happened to dot 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 to the prosecution of Susan Nellis by Kelsey Horvat and Peter Bowell or Bowal? I think it's Bowal. It's B O W A L. Uh, in September two in September two thousand eleven, uh, canlee.org, Regina versus Nellis, Provincial Court, Criminal Division, Judicial District of York, Ontario, Vanek Prov, CTJ, uh, May twenty first, nineteen eighty two, WebMD for Digoxin. YouTube video, case of Toronto nurse charged with murder in 1980s, revisited, uploaded by user News1130 on October 28th, 2016. Diagenetics.co.uk for their page on MBT. I'm not pronouncing that chemical again because (laughs) that was a mouthful. All the power to you, because yep. that was like my worst course. It was like, let's do pharmacology. And I was like, I don't fucking give drugs, I, so I don't want to know all this. I remember doing a pharmacology in my certification course, and there, it was the same thing. And to me, it's like, did, did the pharmacist literally just like chuck their keyboard at a wall and then came, that's how they came up with the names? Like, did benzene, did it LOLs, like whatever. LOL. The rrj.ca article, the magazine, The Granger Deal by Lynn Kelly on April 9th. 1985. McLean's article, The Baby Murders by Arthur Johnson, Robert Block, Patricia Hulchi, and Dave Silbert, originally posted on April 9th, 1984, republished online on October 26, 2016. So that is that on that. Thank you for being a patron. I hope hope you hope you're not super depressed because uh, we know we are. <laughs> Yeah, if you have a story recommendation or you want a specific topic read on air, don't forget that is a perk to you that you can use. Just email us, DM us, let us know which one you want us to cover. And if you want us to cover a episode for our regular feed or for our Patreon feed. And we'll shut you out even more so. And I think that's it. Good job. Thank you. (laughs) All right. If you need a distraction, we got you. Bye. Bye. Stay cool out there. It's really hot outside. Bye. Bye.